Merry Christmas, and welcome to Unsolicited, the podcast that gives fictional characters advice they did not ask for. I'm Emily Blake, and for this week's holiday episode, I'm joined by my brother, Tristan Hurd. Say hey, Tristan. Hey, Tristan. Hey, everybody. It's great <laughs> to be here. Um, I am very excited to be on the podcast as a guest instead of doing the music this week. All of us at Salty Pup hope you're enjoying a wonderful holiday season, whatever you choose to celebrate. We wish you rest, peace, and connection, in part because they're values we hold, and in part because we're talking today about what happens when those needs aren't met. Today, we're talking about The Grinch from Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas, and we're looking at the original 1957 book and 1966 movie adaptation, not the more recent 2000 or 2018 editions. Tristan, what do you remember from this movie from when we were kids? It was one of our annual holiday staples. I remember being very impressed with the decadence of the Who's and how big a Christmas celebration they threw. Um... It was, as a kid, it was a very sparkly, shiny kind of movie, and all of the Christmas trappings looked very appealing as a young kid, I remember. Yeah, I remember being disappointed that you couldn't actually find things like that in the stores. Yeah, especially some of the, the more extravagant toys and decorations that would unfold and did, did, did things that could really only happen in animation. It was a very, very fun idea of Christmas for a young kid. Especially in 1966, or 1957 for that matter. Um, you know, we were, we were growing up in the late 90s and early 2000s, and uh, it seemed outrageous then. I can only imagine when this, when this stuff was published, how truly decadent it must have seemed. Yeah, I think when the original book came out, and kind of towards, towards the end of when the movie, the original movie came out... Um, we we're in this kind of post-war period where Americans were realizing the modern, what we can call the American dream, which is a lot of uh, materialism in a lot of ways. But uh, also there was, I think, a big push to have material holidays and to kind of design and promote those hallmark holidays at the time. And I think the Grinch kind of reflects that both in the the book and the animations, the animated movie especially, Um I think that if the movie had been made 20 years earlier, there, the Who's Christmas would probably not have been quite as um, over the top. Yeah, well, and it's interesting you say that because I see a lot of those concerns mirrored in our, our modern society. You know, we're experiencing a real push back toward minimalism, but there's I think there's a big dichotomy in our society uh, between extravagance and minimalism um, as as methods of celebration and, and ways of living. I would agree with that. Um, I think, yeah, especially today, just, I, I think one of the things that's brought our awareness of our materialism and its impact on the world is the internet and being able to see cultures from around the mm -hmm. world and how they're impacted by the way we live here or, um, other places abroad. And I think back then without the internet companies that were manufacturing were, uh, a lot of the things that became our holiday staples were really easy to hide their, uh, industrial waste and pollution and some of the negative impacts of their mm -hmm. practices and things. Um, so I think back then, I think there was an awareness, but uh, I think it was by a select few and the American public was largely in the dark and kind of celebrating being the, the world leaders still after uh, the two world wars and all of the industrial boom that came along with it and the uh, increased uh, quality of living and the material goods that came along with that after 
um, everything was industrialized for the wars. Yeah. Well, and I think we should probably say before we get too deep in this in this episode that neither of us is anti-Christmas, <laughs> but we do want to speak on behalf of the Grinch just a little bit today, because although he's cast, of course, as a, a really dramatic villain in this plot, um, if he were someone actually living in that setting, I think he would be deeply pitiable and with very few supports. So it's really obvious that the Grinch is living in extreme poverty. He lives by himself with just a dog in a cave um, and is walking around naked most of the time. When he finally dons clothes, he has to cut up his already patched and torn curtains to create any clothes so that he can go into town. Um, but he's he's surrounded by this extravagance and, and wealth and noise that we've been discussing as kind of the miracle of the Who's Christmas celebration. And that must be a really, really tough position to find himself in. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's always hard to observe people that have have more. Um, and it's, I think, very natural to be jealous of that. In fact, maybe that's why the Grinch is green. Um Mm. it's a, a an idea um but he uh he's he's an interesting interesting character um in that he lives up on a mountaintop which uh would seem isolated but as is discussed in the book and, and in the movie the noise that the who's make carry up to his quiet mountain cave and if i remember correctly the thing that he says he hates the most in fact is the noise um mm -hmm. he seems very sensitive to to that particular problem that the Who's seem to, to make. And um, if I remember correctly also, uh, the Who's primary gifts are two things that all the, the kids receive. It seems to be mostly games, sporting games, which are inherently pretty noisy, um, and instruments. Yeah, Those I noticed that also. So it seems like the the Christmas culture of the Who's seems to involve exactly the, the the possibly two of the most irritating things to the Grinch. Absolutely. And if it was just irritation that would be one thing, but I also noticed that people of all age are are playing these these instruments and I'm using air quotes here. Uh, kind of senselessly. It seems like they're just making sounds. We can tell from their singing that they understand music and they, they seem to share the same understanding of of Western musical quality. Um, but then they gift all of these instruments and it's just people of all ages making noise on them. They're not really instruments. They're noisemakers. Yeah, they seem... And that, to me, is far worse somehow. They seem to be a lot of one-man band type instruments and <laughs> none of the Who's seem musically prepared to even be one member of a band, let alone a one-man band. Yeah, one member of a choir, absolutely. One member of a band, perhaps not. Uh, and those are such different skill sets as as we both know. So um, I also noticed in their celebrations that another element that the Grinch said he was really upset about or seemed to be really upset about was the roast beast. And 
I wondered a couple of things. Firstly, what does the Grinch eat? Like, what is he subsisting on? Because he's not going into town ever. Nobody really knows him there. Cindy Lou Who doesn't recognize him. So presumably he's not buying foods. I doubt in the 60s that he had any kind of delivery service bringing food to him. Um, and he's really opposed to the roast beast. So I wondered if he might might not eat meat, you know? Could be. I'd be interested to know what he eats as well, because he doesn't seem to be starving. He's got an interesting little shape to him, and it's <laughs> not ribs. So, yeah, um, he's got a nice little beer belly. Yeah, he's eating something, but but we're not not entirely sure what. Maybe he sends his dog Max out to hunt for him or something, um, or scavenge for him. Um, I'm not sure that the, the Grinch is vegetarian or vegan, um, but I think it is a possibility. Well, and at the end, we do, I mean, here's our customary spoiler alert. At the end, we do see him carving the roast beast for the Who's. So if if he was, uh, presumably he's managed to get, get over it or get through it. Yeah, I believe we see him carving it, but I also believe we see him putting it on other people's plates. I don't think he serves himself a piece. I could be wrong That's on true. that, but I, I don't seem to remember that being part of the animation. Regardless, uh, it's clear that the Grinch is experiencing some serious health issues. Uh, we're told that his heart is two sizes too small and that it grows rapidly at the end of the story, which is surely a serious medical condition. When his heart grows three sizes in one day, zero doctors intervene and I have concerns for his health. Yeah, that uh, sounds like a medical problem to me, if anything, or something you should at least be uh, monitored for a few days <laughs> with. Um, right? Yeah. And I'd... instead, they, the Who's say, let's party. Yeah, instead, the, the Who's say, say yeah, let's, let's likely eat a bunch of unhealthy foods. And um, I, they don't mention it directly, but I have a feeling a few of those Who's were sipping on alcohol, which I can't imagine is good for for. Heart problems. Heart problems, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I do want to point out that the Grinch is also the recipient of some serious criticism, not just neglect from, from his community, but also real criticism. We only hear two tunes in the entire movie that have lyrics. There's plenty of music, but only two tunes that have lyrics. And one of them is, you're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. So 50% of the lyricists are focused on on directly criticizing our, uh, our main character here. Um, and that seems sad. You're a rotter, Mr. Grinch. You're the king of sinful sots. Your heart's a dead tomato splotched with moldy purple spots, Mr. Grinch. Your soul is an appalling dump heap, overflowing with the most disgraceful assortment of deplorable rubbish imaginable, mangled up in tangled up knots. Yeah, and any time that you are have have that sort of opinion of yourself reinforced, it helps you 
grow into whatever that that opinion may be. Um, if somebody tells you you're mean, you will eventually, and you've told that over and over again, you'll probably eventually become mean. I don't know if the Grinch is perpetuating it as well. I don't know if he's waking up and having his morning affirmations. You are mean, telling himself that or anything <laughs> first thing in the morning and contributing to that as well. Or if it's completely outside influence, maybe he's waking up in the morning and saying, you are nice, you are nice. And then the world beats him down. But it's it's hard to tell. We could really use a little more background information. Yeah, maybe he didn't start out green. Yeah. Maybe he became green. If there are any grad students watching this, I think there's a real uh, a real lack of knowledge about in-depth <laughs> Grinch history, and I think you can make an excellent thesis for somebody. Um, if you're a grad student looking for a paper yeah, and something some, to do some research on, yeah. Some anthropologist should really get on this. Yeah. Um, I will admit that I checked zero research-oriented databases before preparing this episode so that might be my bad but i would be very interested in that research and maybe we'll look through it after we finish recording yeah perhaps we can expand on this more more in in future years with uh what what is uncovered about the grinch each year our, our annual revisit yeah <laughs> i like it um the grinch is also pretty isolated and we mentioned that earlier but the only friend we see that he's interacting with is his dog max um, he's not super great to his dog. A lot of his interactions are a little forceful, a little aggressive. Uh, but if you've been isolated for a long time, I, I think you're probably going to lose a lot of your social awareness. And boy, I, I really feel for someone who's who has no interaction with society in that way. It'd be really hard. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, yeah, I, I wonder if his isolation causes his strange relationship with his dog, Max. In some ways, Max seems very happy, but in other ways, he's very fearful of some of the, at least in this particular episode of The Grinch's Life, that we see some of the activities that the, uh, the Grinch has employed him. Yeah. In. It's uh, it's a scary, scary spot to be, I would imagine, for a dog, not understanding the, the big picture. Um, but at the same time, we've seen, you know, Max looks like a pretty ordinary dog, but we also saw that he has some extraordinary strength being able to pull that, yeah. that sled. Um, he's got some, some powers that we might not know about and maybe a deeper understanding and connection with the Grinch that we can't understand. And he is a very expressive character. Maybe he's not mm -hmm. quite as upset as we think. Yeah. Um, Nobody knows Max better than the Grinch. True. Beyond Max, it seems like the Grinch doesn't have very much collaboration, very much support from his community. Um, and I wonder in a community that has so many resources or seems to have so many resources, why there are no social services dedicated to his support and if others are experiencing the same kind of neglect. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's a lack of social services, because that's not really discussed as far as Whoville um, and what's available. I think that would be huge, but I would say the number one problem the Grinch might have is actually a lack of public transportation, because mm. social services are useless if you can't get to them, even if you have excellent social services down in Whoville. We know there aren't any Absolutely. up on the Grinch's mountain, or at least I think it's highly unlikely. Um, yeah, and likely no outreach to his mountain. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I would be really curious to know um, what sort of uh, programs the community has and um, also if they have any sort of funding to establish more public transportation up to the Grinch's Mountain and, and give 
more people in the community because I'm sure there are more like the Grinch out there. Um, the opportunity mm-hmm. to to get the, that sort of help that they need, and of course, just have the the same basic access to goods and services that we all have and enjoy. Um, yeah. Yeah. us to the first of several really central questions to our discussion today. My first question for you is, in severe need, is theft still wrong? We see the Grinch take all of the the trappings of Christmas from Whoville up to his mountaintop, and then he waits to see the Who's reaction. We know that he is severely impoverished, may or may not have food, may or may not have any of the basic necessities of, of life, clothes, warm blankets, any of that kind of stuff. Um, and while he certainly takes more than is strictly necessary, is is theft wrong if you need those goods to survive? Yeah, in my personal opinion, that's going to come down to a situation-by-situation situation basis. Um, are you starving? Are you in immediate need of medical attention? Are you supporting others who are, you know, are you responsible for yourself or someone else? All sorts of questions um, come into that. Um, and then of course, what, what are you stealing for? Are you stealing things that you directly need? Are you stealing things to sell them? And if you're so, are you selling them to buy things you need or are you selling them to buy things you want? Or are you simply stealing them for the, the joy of, uh, theft? Some people are really, um, mentally stimulated by, by the act of, of stealing or different, different types of crime. Um, so there's a lot of different reasons people steal and a lot of different situations that, that can lead to that. And to me, that's, that's a big question and one that we don't have clearly answered to me, even for the Grinch. Um, I think what you're saying about whether they're stealing for the joy of stealing is really interesting because based on the lack of support that he's received, uh, based on the, on his resentment toward the community, both through his own expression and through some of the body language we see in the film and the illustrations from the book. I think it's very realistic to assume that the Grinch's resentment toward this community has likely built over time. He does watch to see their reaction and he's hoping for a negative one. It's, you know, it's, it's pretty clear that he wants the Who's to be very upset that all of their stuff has been taken. Popo to the Who's, he was grinchily humming. They're finding out now that no Christmas is coming. They're just waking up. I know just what they'll do. Their mouths will hang open a minute or two. Then the Who's down in Whoville will all cry, boo-hoo. That's a noise, grinned the Grinch, that I simply must hear. And I, I wonder what what credit or yeah i guess i wonder what credit we want to give to that kind of resentment and whether it a long period of resentment ever becomes acceptable um i would say it doesn't become acceptable i would say it becomes understandable mhm yeah i understand why the grinch would do that um, but yeah, depending, unless we're talking about a life or death situation or something, um, and stealing what you need, then yeah, I sort of feel that, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's, a it's not an acceptable thing. It's an, an understandable thing. Is it understandable to steal? 
and relatable to steal. Okay. Could you see yourself stealing in that situation? Sure. And I think everybody can be pushed into a situation where they will steal. If you keep asking just about anybody, the nicest person you know, if you say, and then if this, if this, if this, they will eventually say, yeah, I would take something of, you know, whatever size or value. I think at some point, everybody would cross the line into stealing, um, you Caves know, to their baser yeah, instincts. Yeah. And it might, yeah. you might have to, some people are very virtuous, but I think everybody would steal a toothpick to save somebody else's life. You know, um, mm-hmm. if you, if you push things to the extreme, but the question is, is, is it okay in the Grinch's case? Sure. What do you think? Is it okay in the Grinch's case? I don't think it's okay, but I think it's understandable. Sure. Okay. Um, the next thing that I was kind of wondering about, it seems like the Grinch is not only really uninvolved in this community, but also, given the amount of resentment he feels, it seems like removing himself from the situation might be one of the best options. If we were talking to little kids, that is the advice I would give them. Like, walk away. You don't have to engage in this. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and I think that's the advice we give to little kids is often the advice that we need as adults because we suddenly throw in all of these shades of gray in the situations that we're experiencing. But at the end of the day, in a situation like this, I I think one piece of advice I have for the Grinch is walk away. However, when people are living in extreme poverty, moving, which comes with some very real and realistically pretty steep costs, isn't always a realistic option. We also have no sense of how long he's been living in this community or how much the community might have changed during his tenure there. We'd, Thoughts? We do have an idea, actually, I think, of how long the Grinch has been living in this community. Because hmm. I believe in the movie, he says, for 53 years, I've put up with this blah or something oh. like that. I'd I believe that. it's 53 years. I don't know if we can assume that's the Grinch's age or how long he's lived there, but I believe he says 53. Maybe we can get an audio sample on that. I must stop this whole thing. Why, for 53 years, I put up with it now. I must stop Christmas from coming. But how? Anyway, yeah, for 53 years, I believe he's put up with it. And that's a long time and a lot, especially if if that's not counting some childhood or some other part of his life where he lives somewhere else. If you've just been observing this Christmas for 53 years, that's a lot of a lot of times to be frustrated and and a lot of times to listen to brand new who's learn how to play their boom whackers and who's wussets. And a long time to be excluded. Yep. You know, if you don't get an invite the first time, that's one thing. If you don't get an invite the next 17 times, that's one thing. If you don't get an invite the first 53 times, it might be time to crash in your mind, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, Well, and it is worth noting that after he wreaks absolute havoc on this community, they do begin to include him. So he takes all of their stuff and rides up to the top of his mountain and watches as they sing Dahu Dore and then comes back down and brings all of their stuff back and is, I don't know if he's considered a hero necessarily, but he's included as a a fairly honored member of their society um, and able to participate in all of the celebrations. He's given the privilege of carving the roast beast, whether or not he eats it. Um, And it it is interesting that their reaction to 
his bad behavior is to finally include him. Do you think any of that is a kind of remorse or do you think that they're just grateful that he brought their stuff back? Um, I think it could be either one. I would most likely guess that they're just grateful that he brought their stuff back. But I thought of another situation. What if because he's quietly living in the mountain by himself, what if the Who's were unaware that he was up there? Do we think that's a possibility? I mean, maybe, but in my experience of fiction, usually if someone Grinchy is living just outside of town, the community is pretty aware of it, and it becomes a folktale to tell their children and something to keep them in the bounds of their town. So I, I find it, because this is a fictional work, I find it unlikely. If it were a work of realism, I would find it pretty likely that they just didn't know he was there. Especially because how many other people have been in Whoville for 53 years? He likely arrived long before most of the most of the community. Yeah, we'll have to look through the Whoville archives or have one of those grad student people do that. Yeah, seriously, reach out if you're looking for a, a doctoral project. Maybe a master's thesis. Or second grade. Or anything in between. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we know how to adapt. Um, okay, so now we're coming to my favorite part of the episode, Tristan. What advice do you have to offer the Grinch? Um, well, one is uh, wearing pants. Will mm. will help you become part of a community. I'm generally a little perturbed by people that walk into my community not wearing pants for the first time. Not always, but generally. You know, I haven't found that many people not wearing pants, but it did work really well for Winnie the Pooh for a long time. That's true. That's true. Um, and he was furry like the Grinch too. So mm-hmm. yeah, they have a lot in common actually. Maybe maybe they should get together and rub their heads together and put rub their heads together, put their heads together, and, <laughs> and see if they can, the can figure out what personality differences are causing the the discomfort in between the Grinch and the Who's. Um, no, I think that. A great thing for the Grinch to do would be to set up some sort of little exchange. So maybe a couple times a year he comes down to Whoville and a couple times a year some of his Who friends will come up and visit him. And that way they can both share their towns and experiences, let each you know, make each other aware of their lifestyles. Maybe they can, if the Who's experience, how quiet it is on his mountain before they start practicing their instruments. Maybe they, they'll understand, oh, we need to set up some quiet hours or something like that. Um and I think that would also keep him in touch with the community and help him get invitations to uh, to Who Christmas and Who New Year's and who knows else what. Yeah, that's fair. I think my piece of advice for the Grinch is to seek mediation. Uh, I think a lot of his problems with the town could be could be resolved with an outside mediator. And instead, he's he's really let let that resentment breed for a long time and then has chosen not to address it in a direct way. He's been pretty passive aggressive um, and I, I think chose some less than adaptive behaviors to respond to his emotions. And I just think a little bit of therapy, a little bit of mediation could really do wonders for him. Yeah, I think that some therapy for the Grinch could be a good idea, just because he seems to have some unresolved traumas of various sorts and a lot of loneliness that I think could could 
be addressed with some professional help. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then maybe the the who's could could swing by a stationary shop and pick up some more invitations and uh, just be more welcoming yeah. to others outside of their core community. Uh, it's very cool how they have a tight knit community and it seems like everybody in town sings together and has the town choir and all that. But it'd be really nice if they branched out and explored different avenues to include those nearby and those that aren't exactly like them. Yeah, it seems almost a little bit like a is a macrocosm a thing? I know a microcosm is like a macrocosm of a church. Mm-hmm. Like if you took a church and expanded it into an entire town, often that is how how those small tight knit communities function. Um, but I think a lot of churches aspire to being welcoming and really want to include people who are unlike them or live in different circumstances or have different ideals um, and struggle to do so because so much of their their identifying characteristic is their own shared ideals right mm-hmm. and I I wonder if that might maybe is a, a piece of the lesson that we're that we're supposed to take from the story yeah that could be. I'm also still thinking about how you said, yeah, and I was thinking the same thing, how the who's remind you sort of of a church and a church expanded into town. And that sounds a little bit like a cult. So maybe that'll be next year's Christmas episode. (laughs) Are the who's in Whoville a cult? Well, and that brings me to my next question, which is, do you have any advice you want to offer to the town of Whoville at large? Um, I think I I offered quite a bit of it, just just saying that they should be more welcoming to others, um, and maybe just more observant of others and their lifestyles, realizing that not everybody likes all of the the racket of their instruments and sports and things, and maybe having some quiet hours or some work hours, some reading hours, something, some sort of city ordinances that can protect things from noise pollution, in particular around there. Um, yeah, but other than that, they seem yeah. to be a pretty wholesome nice community they could use a little bit of diversity in their community it might be good to look into that a little i'm a little worried about how homogenous their community is but um Mm -hmm. that does happen in a lot of places you know i also would like to suggest that they consider books as stocking stuffers um or even as gifts to each other i don't think we see a book anywhere in the film which is ironic given that its origin came from a book uh, but that, yeah, the the quiet hours for reading, I'd be into that. And I bet there are others in Whoville who might be as well. Um, I'd also like to urge them to consider offering transportation for any social services that are available. That for many social services is one of the major limiting factors, both in real world and fiction, um, I assume. Uh, and I, I think that they could really better serve probably their localized community, but definitely a lot of the surrounding areas. Yeah, let's see how those two taxes are being put to work and make sure that they're working for all people in the community. Mm-hmm. Not just the the who central. Okay, <laughs> um, last one. We haven't mentioned her very much in this episode, but I wonder if you have any advice specifically for Cindy Lou Who, the discoverer of the Grinch's theft. Cindy Lou Who. Um, one, um, my first piece of advice is, is with a name like that, you're going to have a hard time being taken seriously in certain office environments, but I think you might do really well in entertainment with a name like Cindy Lou Who. Mm, mm-hmm. 
No, I'm just kidding. But um, no, I think that uh, she, if I remember correctly, kind of turned the tide of the story mm-hmm. and and got the Grinch to to thinking and um, and was the nearest he came to turning around. Yeah. Correct. Before well, before he heard the townspeople singing together. I think so too, but. Uh, on behalf of Cindy Lou Who, I do want to suggest that she not confront strange creatures who are in her house in the middle of the night. That seems like a bad idea, and I, I'm concerned for her. So even if they're dressed as Santa, just let them go about their work, maybe wake up your parents, um, and get out of there. Yeah, yeah. Kids, if you're listening... Um... If Santa's in your house, you should go get your parents and make sure that that they know Santa's in your house, probably. Because they'll they'll definitely want to thank Santa. He's you know he's been supporting your family for years, and they definitely are going to want to to have an opportunity to meet Santa. Definitely, and you only you only need one of your parents to to thank Santa. You don't need both of them. Just one. Yep. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, and on that note, unsolicited is a salty pup production. Audio engineering by Robbie Rutherford, music by Tristan Hurd, publicity by Allison Biggie, and art by Erica Peterson. Thanks also to my co-host Owen Evans and to today's special guest, Tristan Hurd. My name is Emily Blake. Thanks for listening.